<laughs> Greetings and salutations, nerds. This is Praying for Superpowers, a show about the deeper meanings, messages, and intricacies hidden within nerd culture. I'm Peter Jordahl. And I'm Trevor Sharon, and today we're talking about Seth Sunzunbalano. Wore white on the night he was to kill a king. White to be bold. White to not blend into the dark. So, there, there's a lot we could unpack about this character. First off, Truthless uh, is his subtitle. That's insane. What a name. Uh, the fact that he goes by Sun Sun Volano. Uh, what do we know about his grandfather? Why can he be named after his grandfather? But he gets mad when someone calls him Seth Sun Naturo. Uh, his ability to kill, his hatred of himself. Uh, his religious fervor that fades uh, to a dull ache, uh, his insanity, his sleeplessness, uh, gaslighting, his bald head, childlike eyes, the fact that he is the original um, unaffected, uh, no, that's not the right term. He, he, he is the same race um, as the people that arrived on Roshar uh, with Odium in tow. Uh, he, he Spoiler brought, alert. Yeah. This is, you should know by now. Maybe this is the first episode you watched. Sorry. <laughs> okay. First thing that I want to talk about with Zeth is how intense this character is on the spectrum of integrity. I don't think that it's inappropriate to say that he's gaslighted by Vistim. And even by his own culture, he becomes truthless because he believes that uh, the Radiants are coming back, and he's basically the the John the Baptist of the Stormlight Archive. He picks up a sword to herald the call to raise the alarm. The beacons are lit kind of deal. And everyone's like, no. And then what happens is there's this stone that is in possession of Vistim, and he is convinced by Vistim that... Should he break his oath of being truthless and doing just about anything that the owner of the stone says? I mean, and that, that's their that's their religion, is their culture. A truthless has an oath stone, or or a, or a slave. Mm -hmm. A slave in their culture has an oath stone. They have to just from religious need follow that person, whoever has the stone, follow their orders. It's an honor system. Yeah, and. An honor system. <laughs> <laughs> but Zeth takes that so to heart that he does atrocious things in his own eyes because he has to, according to what he believes and and the values that he holds of honoring this oath zone, honoring the, the decisions of his people even though he totally disagrees with everything he's doing and it kills him internally to do these things. Yeah, uh, it, like it, it's to the point where he uh, he stops being able to sleep because he starts hallucinating and hearing, well, he, he can't sleep because when he closes his eyes, he remembers all of the murders he's done because of the Oath Stone. And the Oath Stone is his people's, his people's culture. And so he blames his people, because they're the ones that have forced him to follow the Oathstone's laws. 
And so he gets becomes sleep deprived. He starts hallucinating that the voices of everyone he's ever killed is screaming from the darkness. And then he closes his eyes. And, and I mean, he, he goes insane. And we watch that as the books progress. He goes from like cursing himself for walking on stone that's been cut and broken, which is wrong in his eyes, to um, barely even thinking about it and welcoming death when it finally comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only time that he feels released from being truthless, even though he knows that foundationally it was incorrect and an unjust decision, mm. is when he dies. And and Nin has to explain to him, like, no, you've died. You've paid your price. Like, you can move on now mm. before Zeth is able to move on. And I think, I just think there's a lot of really um, admirable beauty to the lengths at which Zeth will go to to maintain his integrity. And, and it's not... I mean, even foundationally, it is broken. It is a yeah. broken uh, integrity because he isn't wrong and he doesn't need to be truthless. And it was a false accusation because we see that it comes true. But even so, he honors what his culture says. He honors his slave owners. He honors his nation. Yeah. Uh, and this this is something that I, I've always found really interesting. Um, Brandon Sanderson is a well-educated writer. Um, in my experience, well-educated writers have probably done some study of C.S. Lewis um, for how um, well-known he is. And C.S. Lewis has a book called The Four Loves. And he, he talks about the different types of love that exist. And he talks about some offshoots of love that are dangerous. And one of those is patriotism Mm -hmm. and the whole reason behind Seth as a character is patriotism uh he he uh I have a quote here so um it's a love for a place uh and a love for a way of life Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the first part the second part is the view of the past and you kind of view it in like a whitewash like man that was bad but you know all all countries have blood smeared across their histories we're at least doing good now. Uh, And then the third part is uh, a firm or prosaic belief that their nation is correct or right above all others. Hmm. Uh, And what's crazy is this is kind of who Seth is. He is so, he is so certain that his country is right, that his people and leaders are right, that he murders to keep his beliefs in that religion, in that, uh, in that cultural belief, pure, uh, until he gets to the point where he's died, comes back, and ha- realizes that he was right all along. He should never have been made a truthless, and his retribution is tenfold. Yeah, um, and in the later books, Oathbringer, especially, we see this progression away from that patriotism towards something that could easily be perceived as a healthier style of living. But I think it's as patriotic as before because his fourth ideal is I will cleanse the shin of their false leaders so long as Dalinar Colin agrees. And so he essentially changes the foundation for 
who he is and what he's pursuing mission-wise from the Shin to Dalinar. And I think for as, as wonderful as Zeth is as a character, there is also this very dangerous uh, fanaticism to who he is. And it, it's interesting because I think that fanaticism, maybe even in general, but especially here is rooted in cowardice. Mm. He can't like, and that's what Kaladin calls him. He says, you're a coward. You're not insane. You're a coward. And Seth nods his head in agreement. And I think, yeah, he's a coward to not stand up against the beliefs of his people and against uh, King Teravangian. And he's a coward when he shifts the blame yet again. He says, I will kill the Shin so long as Dalinar Kolin thinks it's yeah. right. Because it gives him an escape. It gives his fanaticism the ability to, to not be blamed on him. He doesn't have to bear the responsibility for his actions. No, I, I did it because of the Oath Stone. No, I did it because Dalinar told me. And yet, found at the base of those two statements... He chose to obey the Oath Stone, and he chose to obey Dalinar. And these are choices that he is making. And I think deep in his heart, he recognizes that and tries to run away from it so much because he probably doesn't know who he is or what he believes about the world. And so it's easier to just do what our leaders say. There's an experiment that happened yeah. in the 1900s, uh, the Milgram experiment. Mm. Amazing, unethical experiment <laughs> where they had somebody strapped to electric diodes, quote unquote, uh, and then another person in a different room with the psychologist who had buttons that progressed in uh, volts. And the person in the room would be given several word uh, pairs and have to memorize it if they got it wrong. The person on the other side, who is actually the test subject, would have to give them a shock. And every time they got it wrong, the shocks would be progressively more and more intense. But it wasn't an actual shock. Uh, the, the guy who was strapped with electrodes was acting. Yes. And what they were actually experimenting for was to see the influence of authority on morality, essentially. And so, we go through this experiment and a staggering number of people were willing to go so far in the electric shocks that the person in the other room, the actor, would say, oh, my heart hurts, my heart feels funny, and scream in pain when they were shocked, quote unquote, and then be silent. And uh, the instructor would encourage them to shock them again. And a staggering number of people did showing just the, the, the vast power that an authority figure can have on anyone. We're all susceptible to this and we need to be aware of it. I think this is what 1984 and mm. um, other books like that, Fahrenheit 451, these books Nazi are Germany. speaking, yeah, right, speaking towards this, this fault in our humanity where we look at authority and we say, yeah, of course, even though in any other situation, we would say, no, that's morally wrong. And we see Zeth obeying authority, even when he doesn't really fully agree with it, but because they say so, I will do so. And we thank you, Brandon Sanderson, for the inner monologuing of your characters. Yeah. Uh, Seth's inner conversations with himself throughout 
uh, all of his chapters and interludes is fantastic uh, because it really gives us a great view of this self-hatred, this disagreement with what he's doing, this absolute, complete uh, aversion to death and pain. He doesn't want to be doing the things he does. And yet his, at the same time, arguments for why he should continue to do it, um, which I just think is crazy yeah not well actually crazy yeah i mean he is he's such a broken character mm. and such a viciously um consistent character oh uh, yeah like he's the most consistent character of the books if if we were to put kaladin in a room with certain options and zeth in a room with certain options Nine out of 10 times, we could probably guess what Zeth's going to do. Maybe even 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. Whereas with Kaladin, it I mean, depends. maybe once. Yeah. Like, I, and I, think, I think it's the same for all characters. All, like, all the other characters would be like, we could maybe guess what Dalinar, Navani, yeah. uh, Adolin, who all of them, Shallan, might do, um, but maybe be 50% right. Yeah. And with Zeth, we're way closer to 90 to 100%. We even need a Deus Ex Machina to change the trajectory of Seth's life where Nin comes in and changes everything in order for him to not pursue this goal that he he knows is wrong. What's interesting too, and this is something I'm just realizing, is that um, Nin's son god, or Nail, whatever you call him, the god of law, is Seth's authority figure. Mm -hmm. And Seth, uh, he doesn't tell him no, but Nin gives him the freedom to choose um, who to make himself. And Zeth uh, swears himself to Dalinar Kalin, which is interesting. He's, he's almost kind of spitting in Nin's face because Nin is on the side of the enemy at that point. The Skybreakers are, are part of the bad guys now. Like that is what happens at the end of that book. Um, and we kind of see that, well, maybe they always have been, and Nin's just been lying to himself. Um, and the reason he's been killing Radiance is not to keep the desolation from happening again, but because he believes humanity is in the wrong. And he knows the lie. Which dives into a lot that I struggled with at the end of Oathbringer of like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. And that's like, that's my favorite thing that Brandon Sanderson does is his writing. Um, oh, gosh. Right. I want to say utensil, and I know that's wrong because that's a pen. instrument. Yeah, like a, like a writing instrument is is him taking uh, imperfect narration, and so we hear for like two and a half books that you know these people are good and these people are bad. These people are sojourners. These people are attackers. These people are the natural. These people are the unnatural. And he turns it on his head. He turns it on its head. So just like Seth, we're so convinced, we are so certain that the humans are in the right to defend themselves the way that they are. And he says, oh, by the way, whoosh, the humans have been in the wrong for the past 5,000 years. And it like it it hit me, like, like Trevor was saying, like, that's hard. I'm like, yeah, kind of on the side of the Parshendi. Like, I don't like odium. Mm -hmm. But... I agree with the Parshendi. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, and, and and then at the same, like, now I'm on a tangent, but I'm not going to stop. But 
it's so obvious every time after Brandon Sanderson does that, every time he makes a flip, it's like, well, of course, of course, these people who have to hide during high storms and constantly die aren't natural to this planet. Of course, the horses and the parrots and the grass aren't natural because they're not safe. They would have adapted over thousands of years of evolution or because they were created that way by the God who built the planet. So, of course, the humanoids who can survive the storms and uh, the Rashadium, the horses who can survive the storms, are, of course, what's natural. Yeah. Well, I think something, this may be uh, an important inner questioning to have, is I think that what we see at the end of Oathbringer and what we see mirrored in Zeth Mm. is something we've seen in our own history with colonialism of coming and conquering a place that is already inhabited and saying, no, you're ours now, and this is our land now, and you're gonna follow our rules, and we're the leaders. And we've seen that happen. And 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 what we say, like, is to quote my favorite TV show, Avatar, is like, we were told that we were the best, that we knew best, and that we needed to share our ways with the world. What a beautiful lie. And yeah. that's what colonialism is. And Right. And, and we can't change what's happened in the past, but we can change the way that we are interacting with the world around us now. And it may be important for us to at least question what have we been told and what are we doing because of what we've been told and how are we treating certain individuals based on what authority has told us. And for me at least, and I'm, I'm sure Peter's here with me too, is there is this basic value to a person that is inalienable and it is unchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like to liken it to a dollar bill where you can rub it in the dirt, you can mark it all up, you can tear it in a half, and it's still worth the exact same amount it was when it was fresh and new. Which is nothing because it's paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> undermining <laughs> but i think we we if we look at humanity in the same way that a person has the same value no matter what they've been through or what they've done or what they look like or, or who what, they are right yeah. there's this and it's not saying like i think that it's very easy to say like this person may have more value because of what they bring to this and that that's not i'm not getting into that discussion i'm just saying that the fact that a person exists comes with a level of value that we can honor and if we are willing to look at the world in a way, in a way that says, I honor the value of your existence, of your personhood, um, and, and for, for me, the Imago Dei, I think it's just, if we look at it that way, it changes the way we interact with the world. Mm. And I think Zeth may be struggling with that a little bit because he sees the value of every life that he's taking, but he's also going with what his authorities have told us rather than allowing himself to question it and say, no, I, I refuse. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to just obey blindly what you're telling me to do because you're telling me to do it. And we don't do that very often and we don't have to do it all the time, but it's important to do it every once in a while. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting because it's what, it's what Brandon Sanderson does all throughout the Stormlight books, 
is he lends humanity to the humans while taking it away from the Parshendi. Mm. He's like, anytime someone is looking at a Parshendi or he mentions them in passing and they're trying to understand, he says, well, they're not human, is, is the phrase, you know, they weren't human, they're not human. It's hard to tell because they're not human. He says it again and again and again, taking away that humanity, which is ingrained in the human society in this world. And I think that's what happens in our world too, yeah. is we, over time, we take humanity away from people to the point where it becomes natural to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we take a moment and we give it back to them and it can kind of shift our whole perspective. Totally. Yeah. Uh, now, I want to jump into predictions real quick because we're big Stormlight fans and Cosmere fans in general. So and you probably are too if you're watching If this. you're watching this, I'm sure you are. Uh, leave comments uh, about what you think of our predictions and our video in general. Go ahead and like and subscribe and thank Petri's Family Games for sponsoring this show. Um, so I think that we've been waiting so long, first off, for a Mistborn novel. Uh, part, you know, the the fourth part of Wax and Wayne, because something important from the Wax and Wayne world is going to appear in Stormlight Book Four, mm-hmm. just like uh, Nightblood and Azul, and you know, all of these uh, things from Warbreaker appeared in Oathbringer. I think the same thing is going to happen in Book Four. From uh, and we've already seen some. We've seen one of the masked people uh, appear in Stormlight, so we're going to see that in Book Four from uh, Scadrial. My biggest prediction is Brandon Sanderson is an overwriter, right? Uh, George R. R. Martin asked him, do you write short fiction? And his response was, I write long short fiction because he can't not write the whole story that's in his head, which I respect. I think that's really cool. Um, but I think he said, there's going to be 10 Stormlight books and there's probably going to be 12 uh, or maybe more, maybe just 11. But I think the last book, the opening line is going to be, Seth Sun Naturo of the Skybreakers wore white on the day he was to kill a god. Because it sounds too cool for Brandon <laughs> not to do it, and it sounds right up Brandon's alleyway to do it. To end the series the way it began. Yeah. With changes that encompass the difference that has happened throughout the story. Right. Because the reason he's called Seth Sun Sun Volano is because it's disrespectful to call him as his father's son because he's a truthless. So I'm interested, because every one of the Stormlight books is gonna focus on one character, right? Yep. And so we've had Kaladin, Shallan, and Dalinar so far. We're supposed to get a Venli, uh, a um, Yasna, mm-hmm. and we're gonna get uh, maybe one or two of the Heralds, and a Seth, and a Lift. Um, and I think Seth's book is going to start this way, and it's going to finally tell us why he can't be named after his father. What exactly did he do? Was he a monk? Uh, like all Shinar bald, but why Why did he pick up the sword? Did he have a vision? Was he guarding the swords and then decided to draw one because... Or did he uh, connect with his friend? Yeah, did he? Yeah, did he have a connection with his friend? And so his connection with his friend. And then, you know, what happened to his friend? Well, I think we hear that it still exists. We just never see it as the reader, which I think is really interesting because we've seen that same process with Renarin. Uh, and we know, and, and I think, I mean, it's weird because Zeth technically kind of has two spren, 
Nightblood and his original bonded spread. And it would be interesting to be able to see the triadic conversation that happens between all three because Nightblood and Zeth get along really well because they're they're really two sides of the same coin or maybe the same side of one coin. Let's destroy evil today. If you haven't listened to the audiobooks, by the way, oh, Sword Nimi, that's what he sounds like, Nightblood. Oh, hello, let's destroy some evil today. That's what he sounds like. And so his his counter to Seth's like calm, cool, collected, very monotone voice, and they're both like, let's destroy evil, but through very, two very different moral codes. It's interesting. We are way over our normal time for this episode. Care. He's such an interesting character. He is such an interesting character. If there are things that you think we missed, let us know in the comments. If you want to see a part two to this conversation, let us know in the comments. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And again, if you're in Colorado Springs, stop by Petri's Family Games. Thank them for our show because they're sponsoring it. And pick up a board game or two. They've got some good ones. We'll catch you next time. Greetings and salutations, nerds. This is Praying for Superpowers. A show about the deeper meanings, messages, and intricacies hidden in... Greetings and salutations, nerds. This is Praying for Superpowers.